the winning's great. It, it feels good, obviously, momentarily. But the joy of football is really the work that we put in. The work we put in in the offseason, throughout training camp, and throughout the course of the season as we game plan and prepare, having something in front of you week in and week out is really why we coach. Bird right, 18 premium diesel. Joe Montana, Buster Douglas, John Elway, John Elway. Daisy right, Soy, Blitz right, Travolta right, Pumpkin left, Alert Charlotte left. Hold on. Bunch right, Zach. We'll go 15 tip scissors. Cannon to 300 jet F stick. Victory is a great play call. Coaches, welcome back to another episode of the Play Callers Club. I'm sorry we've been off schedule a little bit here. We are finishing up our season coaching high school football down here in Houston, Texas. And then we got kids sick and just trying to kind of keep up with life and everything like that. But I wanted to take a little bit of time, come to you guys with a solo episode. This is just just Dan today. Um, and talk to you a little bit about some of the lessons that I learned this season and some of the conversations that I've been having with coaches at other levels as well that um, can maybe provide a little bit of insight for you if you're in the playoffs right now or maybe heading into your off offseason. Uh, yeah, just kind of talk through some of the lessons that I feel like I have learned this past season. So just to give you a little bit of an update on where we're at, obviously down here in Houston um, at Episcopal High School, we just wrapped up our season. We were fortunate enough to win the SPC championship. So if you think about it in terms of high school football, compare it to college, I, I kind of describe the SPC as kind of like the Ivy League of Texas high school football. So the top two teams end up playing in the finals. And, you know, we were fortunate enough to pull it out against a, a good team. Um, and it was it was a fun season, man. We, we ended the season nine and one. Kids played really, really well. They played hard all season. And uh, just like that, it's over, man. The football season, it's so much work. It's so intense. And it ends so abruptly, no matter what level you're on, whether you're coaching youth football, you could be coaching flag football, high school, college, NFL. When the season's over, it is so over um, because it just it wraps instantly. And you go from this very structured life of practicing game planning every single moment of every day is crucial to the mission at hand and then all of a sudden it's over um, and it's it's a very jarring experience I know for a lot of coaches out there that you, we go through it every year but you're just not there's nothing that can prepare you for the end of a season win or lose and uh, as a player and as a coach I've been a part of some really good teams been a part of some really bad teams um, in high school played in the state finals as a sophomore, state semis as a junior and senior, um, had a had a really fun high school career. College, we we took our lumps when I was playing at Davidson College, had some really rough seasons there, even had a, a season where we didn't win a single game, one of the one of the worst years of my life. As a coach, you know, lost a state championship in North Carolina, lost a state championship in Texas. So I've been on the losing end of a lot of stuff throughout the course of my my career, and this was the first season that I ended the season on a win, uh, a championship, uh, which was a pretty cool feeling. But I think I anticipated the satisfaction of that feeling to be maybe a little greater than it actually was. I think I had that same sense of finality at the end of the season where it's just it's just over. 
it's over. And yeah, you can celebrate and feel good about accomplishing a goal that you set as a team. But I think one of the biggest lessons that I learned this year and being on the other side of it, again, having lost several championship games over the course of my high school career, um, coaching football, um, you know, I think I, my assumption was that it was going to feel totally different when we won. And it honestly felt kind of similar to even some of those losses. And obviously, you know, just in conversation with other people, it's fun to say, you know, we won it. And obviously the, the kids are fired up at, that we, that we won it. But I think the, the biggest, the biggest thing that I took away from it is that the, the true joy of football is being there with that team and having a mission week in and week out. And when that's over, you do mourn that loss a little bit. Even if you won, you mourn the loss of not, you don't have that team anymore. That team's never going to exist ever again in the history of the world. And um, there is some sadness associated with that. So it's been, it's been a weird feeling. I've, I've had a lot of conversations with some of our, our coaches and, you know, it's when it's over, it's, it's just over. And, uh, I know a lot of coaches deal with that every single season. And so, yeah, I think it was a good reminder for me as a coach that the joy of football is not in the winning. The winning's great. It, it feels good, obviously, momentarily, but the joy of football is really the work that we put in the work we put in in the off season throughout training camp and throughout the course of the season as we game plan and prepare having something in front of you week in and week out is really why we coach um and the significance of of doing it with a team that is so unique each and every year you can have even the same players on a team from year to year and that the team experience is is completely different um, so it was a good reminder for me. I, th I think I, I read a quote from Kobe Bryant the week we played in the championship. He was kind of talking about Mamba mentality. And the thing that he really said stood out to him most about what Mamba mentality meant to him was this idea of having infinite curiosity for the task at hand and not worrying about what anybody else was thinking about him, but just putting work in day in and day out. And, you know, I think that that's a perfect encapsulation of what it should be like as a coach, right? It's like, I need to have infinite curiosity to improve my craft, whether we win a championship, whether we lose a championship, whether we have a winning season, losing season, whether um, the outside voices are saying you're great, or the outside voices are saying you're terrible. Do you have that infinite curiosity to continue to grow as a coach as a person, husband, father, like all these things, right, is, is that infinite curiosity to keep growing. And um, that's really been highlighted for me in my week one of the offseason. I've had several conversations with, with good coaching friends, and they're still in season. They're coaching college ball, both really successful coaches, and both of them have been reaching out and trying to, even in the midst of their season, trying to learn, trying to find wrinkles, trying to... Uh, find solutions for their players and it's been fun to kind of go back and forth with them even though I'm not in season anymore to just go back and forth with some of my buddies that are coaching right now and see how that infinite curiosity is paying off for them in the moment you know one of them is they're they're undefeated right now the other is having one of the best seasons in school history and uh, both of them very successful on offense and you know calling plays dialing it up but even with that success that success doesn't come with a sense of 
I know what I'm doing. I, I got all the answers. That success comes with a sense of I'm still trying to learn, still trying to find an edge, still trying to grow. Um, and, and it was just an, an encouraging conversations with coaches that are, that have that infinite curiosity. And so I miss it, man. It, it ends so abruptly, no matter what level you're at, win or lose. Yeah, it feels good, but I just can't wait for next season, man. I'm already, I'm already excited about it. Obviously I'm excited to rest. I'm excited to spend some time with family. I'm excited to work on all the off season projects that I have going on, but I still miss being out there with the team already one week into the off season and um no ring no trophy no championship can uh replace having a team nothing there's something very human about that where you, that we need we need a team man we need to be working for something together i think I just think that's really important um and, and as some of you know some of you that have been listening to the podcast one of the things that coach harson challenged me with brian harson in the off season was to take care of myself physically during the course of the football season. And one of the ways that I chose to do that was to compete in a half marathon. Uh, it was very, very slow, but the fact that I got out there had a goal in front of me, it forced me to run every week during the season. Uh, it, it was honestly very helpful to have that space to clear my head and push myself a little bit physically. I think the season for all of us as coaches just, it wears on you mentally, emotionally, physically. Um, it's really easy to to let uh, to to kind of get out of shape in the season, and that was a good challenge for me this year. Kind of kept me in the moment, and it, it's funny. Similarly, with kind of the physical training and the season ending, it's like once once I finished that race, it was like, oh man, I kind of need to put something on the calendar again to push myself to to keep working, keep growing as as a as an, even as an athlete, I'm not an athlete anymore, but you know, being able to run a half marathon or a full marathon one day, um, is something that I'd, I'd like to do. So, you know, sometimes just putting something on the calendar is, is a helpful motivator, just like when we're in season, right? That game is coming Friday night. That game is coming Saturday. That game is coming Sunday. And having that date on the calendar really pushes us to be the most efficient we can be really pushes us to be the most prepared we can be. And so, there's something about that, right? There's something about just having a date on the calendar and uh, and moving toward it. So, uh, yeah, been been really thinking a lot about how important those things are, especially with uh, with wrapping up, you know, my season and on to the next thing. So, just wanted to talk through a couple of the lessons that I learned, and then answer a couple questions that I've gotten um, again over the past few weeks that I've been trying to sort through. Um, First, I'll start with the lessons. So when I wrapped up my season, I got a chance to head over to San Marcos and go visit Mac Leftwich at Texas State. So if you haven't had a chance, go back and listen to Mac's podcast. We did a did a, a podcast with him probably probably during training camp, I think so. Um, Mac's spoken at our clinic. He's you know really sharp, young offensive mind. Texas State, I believe, at this point in the season, six and three, one of the best seasons they've had in school history. They're playing really well on offense, and it was interesting in talking to Mac, obviously, previous year, last year at UIW, um, Incarnate Word, they set all sorts of records in the FCS, one of the most prolific offenses in FCS history. They get the Texas State job, and Mac was doing a lot of really good stuff on offense at UIW, and some of it obviously translates over to Texas State, right, obviously, um, but it was interesting hearing him talking about kind of figuring out your team's identity 
And again, I'm not going to go into schematic details, obviously, because they're still playing football. But him talking about, you know, how some of the things have carried over and that they've had to adjust certain things as well to fit their personnel and to fit uh, the skill sets of the players and what they do best. And it, it was a good reminder for me as a as a play caller, uh, coordinator, as somebody who's just obsessed with offensive football. Every season is so unique in the way that we scheme for our team. And yes, we have these kind of core beliefs, maybe about tempo, play design, identity, all of these things. And to a certain extent, right, we can recruit to, uh, you know, if, if you're in college, you can recruit to your system. If you're in the NFL, you can draft to your system. But no matter what happens, you are having to make these real-time adjustments to best serve that personnel grouping week in and week out. And so it was interesting hearing Mac talk about some of the lessons that he's learned as a first-year FBS coordinator and how some of the things they were able to do have translated over and some of the things they've had to make adjustments. And I think every program every team, every offense is having to make adjustments every single year. And so one of the lessons that I learned this past year um, was, was had a lot to do with finding an identity as an offense. And so just, again, just a kind of a brief overview uh, for us offensively. Coming into the season, we did a lot of work in the offseason planning and prepping. And the anticipation for us this year was that we were going to be a 10-personnel team. We didn't really have a tight end. We we're going to be 10 personnel. We we're going to throw the ball a lot, um, play up tempo. And, you know, our run game, our, basically our pass game would open the box for our run game. That was kind of the initial plan, right? We put a lot of work into that. A lot of the install was 10 personnel. And the last day of training camp, we had a senior receiver who played in the slot, but really he did a lot for us all over the field. You know, we were able to move him around. He was a heady player. Uh, caught the ball well. He goes up to catch a ball in the back of the end zone and snap. Um, breaks his ankle, dislocates his ankle, like bang. We think he's done for the year, right? And so having to adjust to that, it was like, man, heading into week one, obviously 10 personnel was the plan, but can we really be 10 personnel the way we want to be? Is that the best use of our resources and is that going to be our identity? Um, obviously depth became an issue at the receiver position. Um, just not having, you know, when you play a lot of 10 personnel and you're going to be an empty and you're going to do all these things, you really need almost two rows of receivers, uh, because guys get tired. I mean, there's a lot of running involved in, in 10 personnel pass game, especially if you're going to try and throw four verts and cross and, um, a lot of perimeter screens. And so if you're going to do that, you need some depth. And we just didn't really have the depth um, that we thought we were going to have heading into the season. And so we had to make adjustments, right? And so we ended up moving a running back to tight end. That was a good move for him. He got, he was able to get on the field where he maybe wouldn't have played as much. And so we started to wiggle into an identity that was more 11 personnel. And again, just had more things come up throughout the course of the season. And then, you know, we can't, we shifted and became a little bit more 12 personnel. That was something our, our offensive line coach was really familiar with. We ended up running a lot of duo. Um, again, not something I was expecting to do heading into the season, but you make adjustments based on your personnel, based on what you're trying to get done. Um, and so we, we had a really 
um, kind of dialed in plan for 11 and 12 personnel. And then we get into conference play. First game of conference, our quarterback gets a high ankle sprain, pretty significant high ankle sprain, uh, limited his mobility quite a bit. And so we had to, again, find solutions, right? It, you couldn't, we couldn't boot as much. We, our play action wasn't kind of what it used to be. It was harder to move the pocket because of his mobility issues. And so we had to get a little bit more aggressive running the ball downhill, pounding the rock, getting in wildcat a little bit. So again, we just had to have tools in the toolbox kind of throughout the course of the season. And one of the things that stood out to me, again, in terms of like lessons that I learned during the season was you have to learn, as I think as a play caller, to win in a variety of ways. And that was a conversation we had as a coaching staff quite a bit throughout the course of the season was balance is not 50% run, 50% pass. And this is you know, obviously the great Mike Leach quote. I think we've said it on the podcast before. 50% run, 50% pass is 50% stupid, right? Like <laughs> that's not balance. Um, that's just arbitrary, right? You got you to gotta threaten the defense. And so I think for us, what that looked like as the season wore on, we threw the ball a ton at the beginning of the season. And as the season wore on, we definitely started to run the football more. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that our quarterback was, was banged up. And it was, it was a little harder to, to, we, again, we, you know, when you throw the ball a lot, you're either putting your quarterback in position to obviously potentially get sacked or have to scramble out of the pocket and putting him back there on one leg. It didn't feel like that was the best uh, solution for us as we hit conference play. And so he got better and better as conference play went on, he got healthier. And by the end of the season, we were able to use him in the QB run game a lot. Um, but again, it wasn't so much balance in the sense of 50% run, 50% pass. It was, you know, what's it going to take to win this game, this matchup? And can we win it throwing the football? And can we win it running the football? Can we do both? And so that was kind of a, something that we, we took on this season was balance is not 50% run, 50% pass. Balance is, can we win the football game throwing? Yes. Can we win the football game running? Yes. And how do we, how do we balance those two out? And so it, it, was, it was an evolutionary process for me as a coach. Obviously, I, I like to throw the ball. Uh, I really like to throw the ball. But I think when you develop an identity and a toughness and you can do some wildcat stuff and you feel more confident in that, um, you do start to feel more confident running the football. And so toward the end of the season, we developed a lot of confidence running the football. Um, and, and obviously it, it landed us in an op with an opportunity to win a championship. And we put the ball on the ground qu quite a bit in those last couple of weeks of the season. Um, not fumbling. We, we ran the football. We, we did fumble a couple of times. But uh, th that was an interesting evolution for me as a coach was, again, the vision was we're coming in here, we're ripping it, we're throwing four verts, we're, we're all over the place. And then when you deal with injuries and you deal with setbacks and you deal with personnel changes and some guys rise to the occasion and, you know, demand to be on the field and some guys have ups and downs throughout the season, you have to make adjustments, right? And so it was, it was an interesting year for me as a coach. One of the lessons that I learned was got to be able to win games in a variety of ways. And especially toward the end of the season, having a physical run game is paramount, I think, in championship football. Just being able to grind games is, is really important. And another thing that kind of came up as we were investing in the run game a little bit more was this idea that tough teams win championships. 
And I think in, you know, kind of a previous life as a coach, I kind of thought, hey, we can out-athlete people and we can use our tempo and kind of run people off the field. You know, that, you know I want 50 points a game, blah, blah, blah. And I think for me, part of maturing as a play caller as well was we do have to be tough and physical, especially as the season eggs on, right? As, as we get toward the end of the season, we get into kind of critical moments. We need to have some, some toughness and we need to instill that. And one of the things that Mac said, uh, Mac left, which said when I was at Texas state was, it, it was just a good reminder, right? You get what you emphasize as a coach, you get what you emphasize. And so emphasizing toughness and physicality toward the end of the season, I think was really important for us. I think when it's 110 degrees outside and you're, um, you're able to throw the ball around a bunch and and get up on people early and move the pocket and your quarterback's dynamic and athletic before he gets injured and um you know you're putting up big numbers it's it's a lot of fun right but as the season grinds on you're going to be in in more like kind of fist fight type games and being able to compete in those games as opposed to um being surprised when they happen because hey we've been scoring all these points and now it's tougher sledding the physicality component, I think, was was really important um, for us as a, as a team. And so, yeah, I think if I were to break it down into kind of three categories, I would say the the lessons that I learned this season were a infinite curiosity, and it's something that I guess kind of comes naturally to me. I'm always looking at what other people are doing, trying to find wrinkles, but you have to be willing to continue to stretch yourself to learn even during the course of the season to put your team in the best position to be successful. And that infinite curiosity obviously carries right into the off season. How do I keep getting better as a coach every single day? Um, There's a lot of work I still have to do. Um, The championship doesn't, it's not like a, an exclamation point. It is a, a starting point. It's like, Hey, great. We won a championship. All right how do I get better? How do I get better? How do I learn more? Um, there's a lot of things that I look back on in this season where I'm like, man, I made a lot of mistakes along the way, a lot of mistakes along the way. And how do I improve on those things? And how do I keep getting better as a coach? So infinite curiosity is kind of point number one. Uh, point number two is you have to be able to win games in a variety of ways. Sometimes that's airing it out throwing it 50 times. Sometimes that's grinding a game in the physical run game and using wildcat and just doing what you got to do to win. And I think that was, again, just an important lesson for me as a coach. I, I don't think I've really been in 12 personnel much at all my coaching career. And this year we, we played a lot of 12 personnel and it was an awesome learning experience for me because the best way to learn is by doing. And you can, ha- you can theorize, you can watch NFL film, but until you actually have to put 12 personnel concepts on your call sheet and run them in a game, you don't really know. You don't really know what you're doing. And there's a lot about 12 personnel that I didn't really know what I was doing, but I learned a lot throughout the course of the season. And uh, again, it made me better as a coach. There's no doubt about it. And I think the final component of, of this season lessons learned if number one's infinite curiosity number two is be able to win games in a variety of ways number three um, and maybe most importantly is tough teams win championships and instilling that toughness um, I just think is is really important and something to emphasize in football I think sometimes 
especially in the mo- the modern age and the way we play the game, it's it's really easy when things are going well, you're throwing it around and doing a bunch of fun stuff. Um, that's obviously, uh, it, it's fun. But when it comes down to it, when it's championship time, tough teams win. Tough teams win. And uh, we really tried to instill that that toughness and confidence in our guys that if we got in a grinded out situation, we'd be okay. We were, we were going to be okay. And uh, I think that's where I've grown a lot as a coach is embracing that physicality and toughness toward the end of the season and not just saying, well, we're scoring a bunch of points. We'll be fine once we hit the playoffs. Like playoff football is different. I think we all, we've all experienced that. It's just different. It's different. There's a different level of intensity. And with the weather shifting too, obviously, tough teams win. Tough teams win. So it's a great learning experience, great season. Um, really enjoyed it. And again, it's it's kind of like we're just getting started, right? Um, it's not an exclamation point. It's it's a starting point for the rest of what I do as a coach and what our players are going to do in the future. Um, yeah, really excited about that. All right, so I don't think we've really had a podcast since the Michigan sign-stealing allegations have come out. I don't even know if you could call them allegations at this point. It seems pretty pretty clear, right, what's going on. But I wanted to take a second to talk about kind of sign-stealing in general. First of all, if you're following me on Twitter, you kind of know my shtick on this. It's like, I think it's ridiculous that we're even having this conversation. The fact that the technology is so cheap and readily available in the world to put an audio device in the quarterback's helmet. And honestly, I kind of like the XFL model, right? Where it's like every player has, has audio in there. Um, it's kind of, I think, ridiculous that we don't use that technology. Um, I have personally always hated hand signaling. One, because obviously it can be stolen by opposing coaches. Um, and the other reason is because it's, it just feels like, to me, a huge waste of time. Like, okay, we come up with the play. Uh, we name the play. And then we spend all this time coming up with hand signals to communicate the play in a no huddle context. And I just think it's, I think it's kind of silly. I just think it's kind of silly that we do that. Um, I think it's a huge waste of time. And so I know college football is probably moving in the direction of instituting uh, audio in helmets, just to give you a little perspective on what we do at practice. Obviously in high school, you can't use it in, in this in the game. Um, but at practice, what we do is I take a walkie talkie and I clip it onto the back of my quarterback's pads. And so I'm on the sideline with a walkie talkie and I, you know, call the play or I give him, you know, some information, you know, it could be give him the play, but then I may also like after the snap or not after the snap, excuse me, after the play is complete, I may give him like, Hey, you know, the X should have been your first read here. Like you should have just gotten it out quick or whatever. Um, but it's the nice thing. The thing, the reason I really like the walkie talkie during practice, especially during training camp, maybe less so during the season, especially during training camp is it gets me out of the huddle it gets me out of the mix a little bit and I'm able to stand where I would stand on game day 
and that's the view I get. And so it just kind of gets me more comfortable instead of standing directly behind the offense because I'll see that film later. I'm able to stand where I would stand on game day as opposed to kind of right in the mix. And so I really like that component of it. And it gives the quarterback an opportunity to, you know, obviously hear the play call, call it in the huddle or call it at the line of scrimmage and, and we, we roll. Um, so it's again, 40 bucks on Amazon. You get a, you get a walkie talkie two way radio bang, throw it on the back of the pads and you can, you can roll with it. Um, in terms of in ear or in helmet communication, I, I know that, you know, that may be a little bit more complicated and some of the talk about the expense of it, I think is kind of ridiculous because all it takes is a company to, um, not upcharge you like crazy. I think some of these, uh, some of these companies that do the headsets, um, they're charging football coaches astronomical amounts for pretty basic technology. So anyway, that's my, that's my soapbox there, but it, all it takes is a company to come up with a cheap solution and bang, we have it in, in helmets everywhere, college, high school, anywhere. It's very doable. The amount of money that's being spent on other things uh, is way larger in comparison to, in my opinion, what this system would cost. So I think it's just time. It's time to allow for more direct communication to players. Um, obviously, I'm sure you've seen the commercials with, uh, I think it's Gaudelet, the uh, uh, hearing impaired school. Um, in, I believe it's in DC, uh, and they have little technology that it displays the play on a little screen in their helmet. Great solution, right? Great solution. So I just think there's a lot of different ways that we can accomplish this and having your signs stolen, I think is it's just ridiculous in baseball, right? They, they now have the technology where you can press the, you know, the catcher can pr press a button and it calls the pitch for the pitcher instead of doing all the signs and the, the guy on second base is stealing your signs. And then everybody's hitting trash cans. You know what pitch is coming and you hit a home run. Like we need to remove these distractions from the game, remove the, um, the temptation from the game in high school signs are stolen all the time, all the time. In-person scouting happens all the time in high school. It happens every year. So it, it's probably even, it's probably way more rampant in high school than it is in college or obviously professional. They don't have to worry about it, but the whole sign stealing scandal, in my opinion, it's ridiculous that we're even talking about it. Obviously you're not allowed to go in person and film someone, you know, someone signaling. That's illegal, right? But just the fact that we're even having the conversation, I think, about signing in plays is absurd. It's absurd in the, the modern day and age. And so I, I feel very strongly about this. I think football needs to embrace technology that is common sense and just works, already works. I mean, these freaking radios and helmets have been around since Paul Brown was in was with the Browns and was using a ra radio to call in plays. I mean, this has been around forever and the fact that we can't use it is ridiculous. I also think the fact that colleges don't have iPads on the sideline or, you know, tablets on the sideline is ridiculous. Just make it make sense. Just make it easy. Like what is what is going to benefit the players? It's going to benefit the players to be able to see something visually instead of the co coach scribbling it on the whiteboard, right? 
in high school, we use tablets. In the NFL, they use tablets. Why don't they use tablets in, co- in college? Just make it make sense to me. Um, I just think I think some of the like sideline replay stuff is good for football because at the end of the day, we're te- we're still teaching football, even if it's in the in-game environment. We're making adjustments. We're still teaching, and it's a great teaching tool. And does it give a competitive advantage? Uh, maybe. But if everyone has access to it, everybody has the choice to do it, having a tablet on the sideline, having a a screen on the sideline, it just makes sense to me. It just makes sense to me. Use technology that benefits the players. And technology does benefit the players. So let's use it. Let's use it. Let's push the game forward. And let's let's not hand signal our plays. Oh, my goodness. Let's not do that. Um, it, it actually reminds me of a, a great conversation I had with a legendary Illinois high school football coach, Derek Leonard, at Rochester High School in Illinois. Phenomenal coach. And if you've ever watched his offenses, they do so much stuff. They do so much cool stuff. Formations, motions, shifts, their their tempo, they're, they're crazy, right? He's not hand signaling stuff. He was joking. He's like, I just kind of yell the plays in. <laughs> and I, I kind of laughed because I do the same thing. I just kind of holler the plays in and especially if we're playing tempo, I just kind of yell them in and we get lined up and we run and I've never really had a problem with teams like, Oh, I know what they're doing. Right. Cause if you're playing with tempo and you're yelling, I've had way more issues with signs, people figuring out our signs our signals. And, um, it's just, it's, it's funny. I was kind of embarrassed at the fact that I did that some. And then when he told me he did that some, I was like, Oh, okay. That makes sense. It makes sense. It makes sense to just kind of yell it out. We get lined up, especially he's using a lot of one-word calls. I think one-word calls are highly underrated in the game of football. Um, even guys I've talked to in the NFL have started using a lot of one-word calls instead of this really verbose um, you know, lexicon of you know, 50 different kind of Gruden-style, West Coast-style tags and all this, all this different stuff. Again, sometimes you need that complexity. But I think the one-word calls, they make a lot of sense. Um, They make a lot of sense. And I'm starting to see more NFL guys use the one-word calls, especially when they're playing with tempo, um, which is cool to see. Obviously, college guys already do it. High school guys already do it. But sign stealing. um, (laughs) (coughs) Excuse me. Sign stealing, I think, is just ridiculous that we're even talking about it. Now, punishment may come down the reason you're probably not hearing many schools talk about this or or coaches complain about this is because they all kind of do it right so there's not a huge incentive to kind of be the white knight here and talk about the immorality of michigan when we're all kind of looking for a, a competitive advantage i would say a bigger fear for me than uh the sign stealing is practice film. I'd be much more concerned about practice film if I was a coach. Um, the reality is your you know, coaches and support staff and players have access to your practice film, right? Um, how easy would it be for you know, a disgruntled player to pass along login information to an opponent and they're able to see, uh, you know, they're able to see what's going on. 
I think that is probably of greater concern with kind of the cloud connectivity of what we're doing in practice, whether, you know, people, if people are able to gain access to what we're doing outside of the building. So I think that's something coaches should be more concerned about is again, it's not, you're being hacked. It's that guys are giving login credentials to other sources. Right. And so it's just something I would say if there's, I'm not promoting paranoia, but if there's something to be worried about as a coach, that's more that I would worry more about that people watching your practice film than I would worry about people stealing your signals. I would worry much more about that um, because practice film, you, you get a lot more information watching practice film than anything else, especially in the, the week leading up to the game. And so I know coaches are paranoid about it. Um, but yeah, I would, I would be, I would be thinking about that more. The other thing, again, when we just while we're on the topic of kind of cloud connectivity and playbooks and film and all of these things, one of the things that's really challenging for coaches is a lot of times when they take a new job or get fired, um, the the previous staff is pretty quick to eliminate their access to all sorts of film and everything like that. And that can be really challenging for a coach because you put so much work into tagging plays, having stuff in the like playbook and diagrams and all these things. You have so much that you want to be able to take with you. And a lot of times your access gets cut off. And so I would, I would encourage coaches um, to kind of keep personal record as well. I know this may not be a popular thing to say, Um, but I know a lot of coaching friends that have gotten kind of iced out of their database or computer or whatever the case may be. And they don't, they're not able to take film, uh, teach tape kind of with them where they go. So if I was coaching, particularly in college or the NFL, I think it would be wise to have kind of a personal backup of our film. So that if I'm working with a position group or if I'm working as a coordinator, I still have all my files that I need. Um, Again, I don't know all the privacy laws here and how that works and getting uh, we're probably getting into the weeds a little bit there. But I think it's just important for coaches to have digital record of what they've done to be able to go back and review their career and what they've learned. And um, yeah, I think that's I think it's really important. So. Again, I didn't mean to go down that rabbit hole, but I just think it's interesting as we're as we're talking about technology and football. Technology makes football an even better game. And then there are also challenges that technology creates, right? So I think it's just being wise and and understanding the world of technology as a football coach is just really important. It's really important to make sure you have what you need, your players have what they need. Um, and also that people don't have uh, access to things that you want to keep private. So all that to be said, I'm sure we'll talk about that those types of things a lot more as the season goes on. This is uh, kind of a bridge episode. We'll have the other guys on. Rashad and, and Jake will be back on soon, but I wanted to get something out and just talk a little bit about lessons we I've learned so far this season, um, talk a little bit about sign stealing, and uh, we look forward to, to chatting with you guys again soon and getting back on, on a normal podcast schedule. We appreciate you listening along, and uh, as always, we'll be back soon. Victory is a great play call.